today where we're starting a new sermon series, as Graham said, on church practices. And these are habits that we have as a church, which are designed to help us to love God and to love one another. Each week we're going to look at a practice. We're not claiming that we're looking at all of them. Uh, But we're going to look at a different practice and explore why we do it and why it's important and how we can do it better. The goal of this series is, of course, to draw us closer to God and to bind us together in these practices, appreciating what we are doing and why. Because we're doing them anyway, we may as well understand why and what they really mean. So this week we're starting with perhaps the most basic practice of all, meeting together. And meeting together, of course, is is foundational in Scripture. It starts in in Genesis chapter 3 with God meeting Adam and Eve in the garden. Um, That continues with the assembly or congregation of Israel, which is often referred to in the five books of law from Moses. Um, And the Hebrew word for assembly was actually then translated, translated into the Greek Old Testament as the word synagogue, which you've probably heard of, which in, you know, in, the, in the, uh, the Gospels is, is a place of meeting for the Jews. Um, <clears throat> and uh, it still refers to that. They're still called synagogues. There's synagogues. There's probably one here on the Gold Coast, at least one. And finally, in the New Testament, we find the word ecclesia, the Greek word that refers to the church. And that literally means called out people, ek, out, and ecclesia, call, or ecclesia. So, um, and of course, from that we get the terms ecclesiastical and stuff like that. So, we've got a a wide variety of, of, of... ideas of coming together in the Bible. So where do we start? Where do we start in the Bible? I would actually like to start in a place that you probably wouldn't have thought that I would start in, which is Psalm 1. This psalm's beautiful and it's familiar, but it also gives us a really deep insight into what it means to gather together with others. Let's read it. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. Has that changed? No, hasn't changed. Sorry. Try again. Could you change that, Matthew? I might, might try restarting this. Bear with me. Yep. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his design delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season and its leaf 
does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous, for the Lord knows the way of the righteous. But the way of the wicked will perish. Did you notice how Psalm 1 uses physical location as a metaphor for joining an activity? It uses the image of sitting in the seat of scoffers to describe someone who has chosen to habitually do evil. It talks about trees planted by streams of water to indicate those who worship God and live fruitful lives. And it contrasts the good who can stand in the assembly or congregation of the righteous with the wicked who are simply blown away and perish. Now, while all these images are metaphors, we must ask ourselves, why does this psalm that forms the foundation, the basis, the model for all wisdom psalms, why does this psalm use the metaphor of gathering? Metaphors are only helpful when they make sense, right? There's got to be some, they've got to convey an idea that points to the similarity between the metaphorical situation, gathering, and the actual situation, righteousness, or, or joining in with, with a people. Here the psalmist, of course, is pointing out that righteousness is like belonging in a place of security and permanence, whereas wickedness is like never having a place to belong in, just being blown away. This, there's, there's something so profound about coming into someone's presence and... Uh, so it's such a profound concept that the, this first psalm relies entirely on this type of imagery. So let's move into the New Testament. The Apostle Paul has a very strong idea of what the church is. And this is powerfully expressed in the book of Ephesians, which we've uh, done a sermon series on last year, which really unpacks the idea of church. And unfortunately, we don't have time to read the whole book today, so we'll just choose some very relevant verses, such as these. Uh, it's still not... That's no, just slow. <laughs> Instead, we will speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of the body, the church. He makes the whole body fit together perfectly, as each part does its own special work. It helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. You'll see that Ephesians 4 is incredibly information dense, like the rest of Ephesians. But notice what Paul's talking about here. Speaking the truth to one another in love, fitting together perfectly, helping one another grow. These activities, they don't, they don't just involve transfers of information, right? It's not like, I've got some information, info dump. If you've ever, if you've ever tried, you'll be well aware that you, you can't speak truth over text message or messenger or DM or even Zoom and FaceTime make it hard. 
There's something about achieving that precise balance of speaking the truth in love that, that requires doing life together and face-to-face encounters. We've got to meet together. We've got to be sharing deep parts of ourselves with one another in order to to be uh, speaking the truth in love. And that takes time and opportunity. And yes, we need to see the whole person, not just their upper body or face. This is the classic image of the newsreader or Zoomer who's wearing business clothes on top. And then if we have a look at the big picture, we'll see that they're wearing underneath underwear underneath, or exercise shorts, I guess, in this case. And that warns us about how easy it is to pretend to be one thing and be something else unless we meet in person. So they were on TV, and all you could see was, you know, a nice professional look, yep, and then their house is full of kids' toys and stuff. So ideally, we would actually not just be meeting together in person, we'd be meeting in each other's homes because that would reveal so much more of ourselves, as you can see. But Jesus is making the whole body, the church, fit together. That's, that's his purpose. And you can't solve a jigsaw puzzle by, by scattering the pieces around the house, never letting them come into contact with one another. Right? That just doesn't work, even with a simple jigsaw puzzle like this one. And equally, the church will never grow into an integrated body of Christ if it's, that it's meant to be if, it's, um, if we never have to come into contact with one another. If we're just scattered around individually, we'll never become the body We'll never rub each other's rough edges down if we self-isolate. The church, so the next slide, the church is, the church is inherently physical because it's made up of physical human beings. And the church is inherently unified because it's one body. And therefore, the church needs to be... uh, Sorry, I'm going to have to give up on trying to control the slides here. They're just not working. So, yeah, I'll I'll get this up so that I just read it and I'll, I'll explain when the next slide is. So, this is just... Sorry about this. Sometimes technology fails. And that, of course, is a part of what I'm talking about. As you'd know, if you've done a Zoom call and you're talking to somebody and they suddenly freeze and you're trying to figure out what on earth is going on, it's very disconcerting, especially if you're trying to speak the truth in love. <laughs> okay, so the next... Yep, that slide. So we'll, we'll never rub each other's rough edges down if we self-isolate, right? Jigsaw puzzles 
touch against each other, they rub up against each other. And the church is inherently physical because we're made up of physical human beings and it's, it's inherently unified because it's one body. So if you put those two ideas together, it becomes clear that the church is inherently a place where you must physically come together with one another, right? You can't be unified as physical human beings if you're not physically unified. Which brings me to a question for all of you. Next slide. How have you encountered God in meeting with fellow Christians in ways that you haven't alone? Neil's got the mic here so that Stevie can hear and so that we can capture this. So how have you encountered God in meeting with fellow Christians in ways that you haven't done alone? Um, One way is when um, someone prays for you and then they pray something that you may not have asked for. And you kind of feel like God's saying, hey, I know you so well that I'm actually going to tell this person stuff about you so you feel my love. Um, another way is when someone encourages you, I think. Yep. Yeah. yeah it's funny, we are talking about this this morning. And in Encountering God, I think when one person's talking about God, I think that it becomes something exciting because really it's everyone's destiny at that point and you stop and think of, well, how can we spread this? I think there's the, the nature of um, yeah. wanting to tell us the good news about God. Yeah. It either, either when somebody is present with you speaking about God, it either encourages you or it irritates you, right? So, but you can't, it's hard to be neutral about it. Either of those things are a good thing in a way. Yeah, and also if you've got an issue... And you can seek counsel, get someone else's perspective on the issue, and it, yeah, it can help. All right, here we go. Here we go. I guess there are times I've been with other Christians and they've uh, spoken about something in Scripture with me that I hadn't understood before, and it's opened up my understanding of God through their explanation. Thanks, Matthew. What Dad said was very similar to what I was going to say, which was if you're studying the Bible with a group of people, they might point out something about the passage that you never would have got on your own, I guess, and Mm. and get things out of what other people said. Andrew? I, I wouldn't say it's count. I don't know where you're going with the rest of the message, but it could go where I'm. I don't know, but yeah, um, I wouldn't say encountering God as like a thing that I really like that sticks out for me. Um, it's more like putting myself in the group of God's people um, forces me to be. To, to use his ways mm. and and to exercise my um, development in in love yeah which i wouldn't which wouldn't happen if I just stayed home or didn't go or whatever yeah yeah it's like oh. if you don't have um, 
that test. If it's never tested, then it can't really be called what it's intended to be called, you know. Yeah. Actually, we watched the, um, the Crown, you know, mm-hmm. the series The Crown? Yeah. And there's a part where uh, Queen Elizabeth realises that she doesn't know anything. She hasn't... She hasn't been through the regular school system, and so therefore she hasn't been tested. Mm -hmm. So she feels like she doesn't know anything because no one tested her. She learned some stuff, but yeah, it never was tested. So yeah, I guess it's a similar thing. If we don't, we can learn a whole bunch of stuff, but it's it's never tested by our interactions with Mm. our fellow Christians. Yeah, it's really it needs to be tested. Yeah, absolutely. And there's so, a verse that I'll mention in the Bible in a little while that, that talks about that, in a way. Okay. Well, anybody else? Okay. Okay. So there's, I think, I think there's there's lots of lots of different ways, and we actually talked about different aspects of of uh, coming together. And the reality, of course, is that. We meet together in order to genuinely and fully encounter one another as, as complete human beings, right? The new commandment is to love one another just as Jesus loved us. And, and as the Apostle John asks, which is the verse that I was talking about, if we don't love people we can see, how can we love God whom we cannot see? So loving our obnoxious, irritating fellow Christians is a test, in a way, of whether we really love God. Oh, maybe I'm the obnoxious. <laughs> no, I usually am. <laughs> the, um, and it's, it's God, we might think that God's easy to love, but God is actually quite difficult to love because he's so different from us and he's so much above us and he's, he doesn't change. We can't argue him out of his ways. The famous exhortation in Hebrews regarding meeting together in the church, that, that exhorts us to not give up meeting together, but also explains why. So that's the next slide. Yep. Let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works, and let us not, leg- not neglect our meeting together, as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. It's interesting to, just as an aside, it's interesting to remember that this was written 2,000 years ago. The day of his coming return is drawing near. So it's a lot nearer now than it was then. You see, the church is built so that we might motivate each other to acts of love and good works. That's what we're doing here. It's not about brainwashing or guilt-removing rituals. It's about urging one another on to becoming more and more Christ-like. Sometimes that's painful. Sometimes it's wonderful. Imagine if you decided, next slide, to run a half marathon. Some will find this harder to imagine than others. But still, try to imagine it. Now, imagine that you're in those middle kilometres that I'm told is where you're getting tired but you still have a long way to go, so it's really tough. If you see a bunch of strangers and they yell out to you, you know, on the sidelines, and they yell out, keep going, number 294, is that going to give you much energy, much encouragement? 
It does for you? Gives you a bit? Wouldn't give me much. I'd need something a bit more specific than that. Of course, I wouldn't be doing it in the first place because I'd need a lot more encouragement to actually get out there. But imagine if a family member or a close friend who's been a part of your life and a part of your training in a way, imagine if they were there and they yell out encouragement to you, personal encouragement, reminding you of you know, what you've been training for and stuff. Is that more encouraging? Yep. Yeah. I think that makes a difference. And it's the same for us. We can't encourage one another. Well, we can, but our encouragement is going to mean a lot more if we've done life together. In fact, I think life is so much more complicated than a marathon that unless we've done life together, our encouragement probably won't make much sense. So share a time when your life has been changed by meeting with a fellow Christian. So we talked about, this is a little bit different from the last question. This is actually where you've been encouraged or changed or challenged by meeting with a fellow Christian. Uh, yeah, there you go. Yep. Did you want to share, you guys? Um, <laughs> Gonna have to now. I don't know about Tim. He like me saying this, but I consider Tim my mentor in a lot of ways. And yeah, he shakes his head. <laughs> um, but I don't know just sharing time. Like I think we've come to understand a lot of different things across the years, and I think the biggest thing is all it takes is to put forward a question with um, a fellow Christian, and you end up somewhere where you're like, how did I get here? But I think God has created it in a way that when you have relationships with people that um, he directs your conversation to understand different things about um, God. And you know, I've probably had hundreds of those conversations, so it's hard to pick one individually. But yeah, no, it's good. Yeah. Hey, here we go. Yeah. Probably in confrontation when I just share my ideas and I get it. A different reply than I expected. Yep. Sometimes completely the opposite. And that's that's actually helped. So sometimes it's not. It's the the Bible tells us to rebuke one another, or as we saw just before, speak the truth in love. And sometimes the truth is pointing in a different direction to the one that we want to go in. Any other? Experiences? I um, have just heard from one of my friends this morning who's a Christian, not not meeting in person because we haven't we live too far away to do that often enough but um it was her encouragement to me this morning about she hopes that I can find somewhere that I can be in fellowship that has led me to be here this afternoon that's great yeah that's good yeah I had a an experience many years ago, a friend's mother encouraged me to get involved in church when I was in university and I wasn't doing that. It made a big difference in my life. And my wife actually 
Um, fortunately, she's a Christian. That makes, makes our marriage a lot easier than it would be otherwise. Um, and she often shares things that, that, um, that really help me uh, find a, a better direction than I would have on my own. So fortunately, I live with her, so it's easy to meet with her. So. <laughs> Any other stories? No? So, so what then are the implications that this has, has for us IRL in the real world? Just using a bit of text speak there. Does this mean, for example, that we shouldn't have Zoom? Or we shouldn't post our sermons online. Clearly it doesn't mean that. Zoom and online sermons are actually a wonderful resource and we're grateful that Stevie's able to join us on Zoom today and Mabel almost uh, joined us on Zoom. Um, and it's, it's just a wonderful resource. But we should never mistake them for the real thing, for the genuine Christian fellowship found in meeting together. On the next slide, you'll see a book that I've uh, recently read. And I found a great quote in J. Kim's book, Analogue Church. He quotes Ed Stetzer, who said, A church should be online, but I don't think it should be an online church. That might seem like a fine distinction, but it's actually the difference between a church that's grounded in genuine human experience, which includes a recognition of our physical nature, and a church that takes an almost Gnostic view of humanity, imagining that we can have fellowship merely through our intellects. But we're more than spirit and mind. We're also bodies. Even this sermon, for example, even though we're recording it, thus the microphones... Uh, and you can listen to it wherever and whenever. And even though I've previously written these words that I'm reading out right now while sitting at home in my study, even this sermon is an act, a physical act of fellowship. It's been difficult for me because of the technology. Um, and so that's changed its nature. But just talking with you, interacting with you, not just the answers that you've given the questions, but the way that you listen or that you don't, um, the way that uh, I respond to your responses changes the nature of the sermon. This is actually... <clears throat> you can actually get much better preaching online, believe me. But, uh, but those online sermons won't be yours. They'll... They'll never be yours. They're just someone else's sermon that you hear, that you almost overhear. But this sermon, this sermon is yours. It was written for you, for the people here. It was, it, I was thinking of each of you as I was writing it. And you're here listening to it right now. And um, <clears throat> I hope and pray that it is in, a, in some small way transforming you in a closer image of Jesus. It's not just information. It's not just content. What we're doing together is not just an exchange of information or you downloading some content. 
It's an experience that we share together. Even something as easy to digitise as a sermon really needs to be experienced in person. We were just talking about this uh, with our daughter Atalia. I haven't written this down, so now I'm going off, um, off script. But we were talking just before with our daughter Atalia about her study habits, and she likes the fact that at Griffith at the moment the lectures are on video because she can pause and take notes and stuff. And we said, actually, that's almost a problem because if you were in a physical lecture theatre listening to a lecture, one, you're in a lecture theatre, everyone's there paying attention, hopefully. Um, The environment is geared towards absorbing that information. Second, you can't just pause the lecturer. You have to be actually listening and understanding to be able to take notes. If you're handwriting, you have to be able to be translating what the lecturer is saying into something that you can physically write, which is not going to be as much as the lecturer is saying because you can't write that fast. So you have to be in a process of really apprehending and experiencing what the lecturer is saying and putting it down on notes. So being in a lecture theatre is a very different experience to seeing the same lecture on a video. You can't, get the, you can't replay the last few seconds. You can stick your hand up and ask the lecturer to repeat that, but anyone who's ever done that knows how embarrassing that is to do in a lecture theatre full of other students, right? So, so it really focuses you and creates a different experience. I'm not saying that preaching is like that, but it's a totally different experience. A physical um, experience is a very different experience to an online experience or a recorded experience. If experiences were, in fact, so easy to gain remotely, then why do we pay hundreds of dollars to go to a football game or, and see a much worse version of it than you see on TV? Like, if you go to a cricket game, you can hardly see the ball. Like, what's the point? But people pay hundreds of dollars. Why don't you go to a concert to get your ears blasted out when you could listen to the much better recording of the music in your own, in the comfort of your own house? Why do we pay thousands of dollars to travel somewhere when we can see videos and virtual reality and photos and whatever with lots of information about all these places? Well, it's because we cannot gain the same experience without actually being there. And church is the same. It's an experience. There are so many other aspects to why meeting together is critical to our spiritual, emotional, intellectual and even physical health. But I do have to draw the line somewhere. We can't go on until midnight. So the next slide. The rest of the sermon series will actually touch on this general topic in many ways as we talk about aspects of meeting together, such as singing together, which Graham is uh, speaking on next week. Maybe he'll sing it. Maybe he'll sing the sermon. (laughs) Um, Eating together, which is a practice that, that, that Renew is really good at. We're really good at eating together. Serving together, communion, 
and baptism. And, and we've got another uh, bunch after this which we can do together or solo. So to summarize, to summarize what we've been talking about, let me say this. Our Christian faith is real and it involves our entire being. It's also, it's also huge. It's too big for one person to live out on their own. And so our faith must be lived out together, IRL. So you remember what that means, right? <laughs> so next slide. I want to leave the last word to Paul. Next slide, Matthew. Matthew? Next, thank you. I want to leave the last word to Paul, who literally wrote much of the book on how we as Christians should live our lives together. And this, this is Paul's exhortation to the Roman Christians after 12 chapters of incredibly sophisticated theology. So let's make this our prayer. Let's read this together. It's a couple of slides, so be on the ball, Matthew, so that we can change the slide at the right time. So let's read this together as a prayer. Don't pretend to love others. Really love them. Hate what is wrong. Hold tightly to what is good. Love each other with genuine affection and take delight in honouring each other. Never be lazy, but work hard and serve the Lord enthusiastically. Rejoice in our confident hope. Be patient in trouble and keep on praying. When God's people are in need, be ready to help them. Always be eager to practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Don't curse them. Pray that God will bless them. Be happy with those who are happy and weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with each other. Don't be too proud to enjoy the company of ordinary people. And don't think you know it all. Never pay back evil with more evil. Do things in such a way that everyone can see you are honourable. Do all that you can to live in peace with everyone.